Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, awful lot of news going on this week, starting with the relieving of duties of wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield. I was stunned when I saw the news. How about you? Uh, I I was a little bit uh, caught off guard because I, I was doing a home DIY project um, and I, I didn't have my phone on me for an hour. And then all of a sudden, everything's happening Sunday night, like between football and some like house stuff. I was away for like an hour and a half. And that just proves to you, you're not ever allowed to be away uh, during this job because anything can happen at any time. And uh, Taylor Stubblefield uh, being relieved of his duties uh, was was surprising. You know, um, the the it always goes this way, though. Right. So it's surprising at first. And then you think about it and then you go through the history of things happening. and You go, OK, I can kind of see where this came from. Exactly. And you and I were talking off the air and just full disclosure, when something like this happens, immediately fans, people in general are drawn to, oh, what is the big controversy? What is the, is there an off the field issue and all that? There is no indication of anything like that, any indiscretion. Although, to be fair, when I first saw the very terse, memo put out by the university he's been relieved of his duties my first instinct was "Uh uh-oh what happened oh so so this is uh, this is a part i do want to get into though is because this is an atypical firing for james franklin in that it didn't go smoothly because taylor stubblefield beat penn state to the punch like apparently he was relieved of his duties and he announced it on twitter instead of the university having a very flowery thanking him note with the graphic and all of that stuff um he came out and if you read his statement it reads like a defense attorney defending their client against the action like here are all the things i've done at penn state and i'm very thankful for all those players and you know, like in a very professional way, um, I, I, I think it was uh, putting it to James Franklin, like publicly in. And that does not happen with Penn State, um, any sort of like event with Penn State. It always has to go through the machine. And Taylor Stubblefield on the way out the door, I think, slammed the door with a with a tweet. Right. So like all this dramatic of he didn't follow procedure on his way out. But it is like notable that um I don't think that not that anyone really gets fired willingly or or excitedly, but this definitely felt from the public perception like a very contentious one. Well, and I don't blame him at all. The university, of course, on their side, they want to control the message. I get that for uh, him to Taylor Stubblefield to want to control the message on his side and say, Hey, look, I've done a pretty good job. Look, here are all my accomplishments. Can you blame the guy for doing that? No, no. And I I mean, I would probably handle it the same way, to be honest with you. I don't know that I would uh, worry too much about rocking the boat if I felt like I was doing a good job and that this was unwarranted. And to, to be clear, like, 
all the stuff surrounding and and the and the reasons why. And this is this is as far as the conjecture I'm going to go with. But I do know that given the facts of what we have and how it went down, that uh, it was not um, it was not common. It was not a, a normal Penn State procedure way. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next and how how this affects the um, the next recruiting class and how Penn State can or can't uh, replace Taylor Stubblefield as a receivers coach and, and as a recruiter. Let me give you my take and get your reaction to it, T. Frank. I believe it's the situation here where uh, James Franklin wants everything to be exceptional within his program in all mm-hmm. facets. And this could very well be a case where a guy is doing his job okay at, as wide receiver coach, but okay is not good enough. He wants elite. And recent events, it if you watch the receivers this past season – I'm not sure anybody excelled beyond expectations. I thought coming into the season, we would see somebody step up among the young players. Didn't really happen. Then you had, on the recruiting side, you didn't have this great recruiting class of wide receivers. And then it was obvious, okay, we want to go into the transfer portal and get it at least two wide receivers, and there were a lot of big names out there, and every time you heard an announcement of a receiver committing somewhere, it wasn't to Penn State. So the most recent news for wide receivers has not been good. That's my take. I I think it's not about the most recent news. To me, it's more about the totality of of the time at Penn State. And uh, let's just go through some of the players that didn't go to Penn State. Dante Thornton didn't go to Penn State twice. Um, out of high school, he was committed to the Nittany Lions and chose to go to Oregon and then go to Tennessee. Now, in this situation, like transfer portal, and I, this is the this is I guess my point is, if we look at just the microwave recently with these guys going to other programs, a lot of them are going to NIL heavy programs when we look at the receivers um we know that west virginia is willing to throw around money we don't know how much money they have but they are willing to spend it especially it seems on receivers um and then tennessee is another place a couple other institutions where penn state has been trying to get players uh one of my favorites in in the in the uh transfer portal class that we didn't talk about a whole lot uh, dorian singer went to USC, like went from Arizona to USC. And, you know, whether they had an opportunity with him or not, the point is a lot of these receivers are going to NIL uh, forward programs. But if you look at some of the receivers that they missed on over the years, it, it we know the ones that are here and we know the ones that came to Penn State. But sometimes for me, especially, it becomes hard to remember all of the guys that were in the class. Um, another guy they're getting a second run at, Malik McLean, uh, was on campus for a official visit um a top 200 player in the nation Penn State was in on him he didn't go to Penn State uh, and then you look at the recent class of 2022 Noah Rogers Cam Selden Ronnie Gallagher uh Penn State's top three targets I would say or at least three of the top five all of them went to other institutions so um Penn State was not going to take a lot of receivers in this class but if you're not going to do that you need to get some quality players and Carmelo Taylor has speed and he's he's a, he's a good football player and he's got great potential but he's not 
know Rodgers, who went to Ohio State, and he's not Cam Seldon that went to Tennessee as far as athletic. And then on the, you know, kind of pecking order, Rodney Gallagher was higher. So, like, you look at all of these things and you build up this case of, I think you you make the perfect point to begin the show of Taylor Stubblefield was a good uh, coach, um, good teacher, couldn't get the athletes in the building to make a difference in that teaching of if you're taking a good receiver and making them great, you know, that's one thing. If you're taking Jahan Dotson and making him a first round pick, that's 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 really good. He inherited Jahan Dotson. So bringing guys in to raise the level of those guys to an elite level, they were not getting there. So what does it matter if you're bringing in a guy who is an elite recruiter, bringing in elite talent that is good at development versus a guy that can't bring in talent or can't bring in the highest level of talent and and move them to, you know, an exceptional level of play. So to me, it's not about just the portal. It's about the full picture of uh, they were struggling to get guys in a bunch of classes. And uh, I don't want to say that they didn't bring in any talent because Harrison Wallace is a good football player, but there have just been deficiencies in that room. And you can look at the roster and say receiver right now is the thing that's holding back the conversation about the offense and the defense. It's clearly one of the lower positions on, on the, uh, on the overall positional depth chart. And if that's not getting it done for James Franklin, then yeah, they're going to make a move. And you make a good point about if you compare it to the other positions, where it looks like Penn state is becoming much more elite at most position groups. Running back, yep. enough said. You know, quarterback, the five-star comes in. The offensive line not only is coming together, but you get two very highly ranked players coming in the next class, and we can go through, you know, the defense the same way, and that's not been happening at wide receiver. The other part to this, uh, T. Frank, is maybe it's just plain coincidence, the timing, but... It seemed like right after the announcement that Taylor Stubblefield is gone, their top wide receiver target in the portal, or at least the guy we've been talking about the most, Dante Cephas from Kent State, he commits to Penn State pretty much right after uh, uh, Taylor Stubblefield was let go. Yeah, so I, I don't think that those two are connected in, in any way. That, so this is the this is this is the part where it's like, what's the what's the the conspiracy theory behind all this and and this is just reporting from some of my co-workers and and they talked about this on the monday show of the bwi daily edition is that um you know the pittsburgh kid dante cephas and the pittsburgh recruiter terry smith had a strong connection so uh, a little bit unlinked there between the receivers coach being gone it wasn't like dante cephas was saying i'm not coming to play for taylor stubblefield like that's that's not the case it was just that the coincidence of the timing of everything because we're at the end of the transfer portal window. So these things have to happen at a certain time. But I think you could look at it the reverse way, which is Dante Cephas is going back to Kent state to finish up his spring semester. Yeah. If he was totally tied to the wide receiver coach at Penn state and that oh, was totally. the reason for him coming here, there's no doubt Cephas knew before his announcement that, Taylor Stubblefield was going to be let go, and he apparently was fine with that. Yeah. One other yeah. quick quick thing I'd want to mention is there have been times where uh, James Franklin has let coaches go, and it wasn't just because of that coach. It was about who he was going after. We haven't seen that portion of this yet, 
who he's going to bring in as the next wide receiver coach. But I think we saw it, the analogy I had was Kirk Sharaka, who came in for one, just one year. I think he yeah. got a bit of a raw deal here. But the reason for it was Yursich was the guy that James Franken really wanted. Yeah, so... Sometimes this is pretty telegraphed, you know, with Kirk Shiraka and, and Mike Yersich, you bring that up. And, and Mike Yersich was let go when Steve Sarkeesian came to Texas. So that one was, I think people saw that. And, and when it happened very quickly, it was like, oh, OK, all right, got it. Um, these things are not uh, these things tend to be pretty quiet until they're done, though. So they're they're pretty tight lipped about coaching movement when they're when they're targeting a guy. I will say the AFCA meetings were last, I think it was last week. Um, so every time James Franklin goes to those coach meetings, something happens and afterwards. So yeah, I, I think it's a fair point to say there might be somebody he's targeting or he had in mind that is available. That's going to have to be it for quarter number one. Stick around. We got a lot more to go. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr talking all Penn State news. And our show is brought to you by 409TailgateClub.com. Got to get out to their website. It's 409tailgateclub.com. A lot of great products to choose from. You got their Bloody Mary mix. You got their great rubs. You got the sauces. And, of course, their brand new coffee barbecue rubs. All of them. Trust me, Jim has tried all of them. And every one of them is fantastic. Again, that's 409tailgateclub.com. You won't regret it. All right, T. Frank, we started our show talking about Taylor Stubblefield being relieved of his duties at wide receiver. Just one last follow-up to uh, tie this up in a nice uh, bow. I don't think we're going to have the whole story to this until we get an announcement of who's coming in. Yeah. And will this conversation turn into, oh, okay, this wasn't so much about Stubblefield. It was more about the new coach. I think that will be the conversation after we hear an announcement. So Taylor Stubblefield, we go through the first segment. We talk about all the things that led up to being relieved of his duties and and at least the, the, the public things that we can see and all that stuff. 
he was a good coach. So let's let's take what we just said and said, okay, here might be the reasons. But let's also understand that he was a good coach and that you don't just let go of a good coach unless you have a plan to bring in somebody better. And I do believe the timing of this, it's pretty late in the cycle. We're, we're getting into the middle part of January. Um, junior days are, are going on right now on the weekends. The transfer portal window, I think, closes tomorrow. I, I don't know the exact timing of it, but so they need to get um, <laughs> they need to get this sorted pretty quickly. And uh, it, just doing these things, usually it happens pretty expeditiously, exp- expedited, uh, fast. <laughs> I don't know if expeditiously, <laughs> expeditiously, that's the word I wanted. Um, so James Franklin, as you mentioned, usually has somebody in mind. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't peg him as somebody who would make a rash decision. So, uh, you know, in a couple of days, maybe, maybe by next early next week, we might know. And I think you, you make a good point of who's the next guy that is going to tell us a lot about, um, this process, but this is the opportunity to do that, right? So this is also the opportunity to say, we want to good to great, great to elite. And James Franklin has the, the, the cash in his pocket now from his new contract for his coach's salary pool to go find elite coaches and, and pay them accordingly to draw the top talent to, to Penn State, whether it's players or, or coaches. So that's a part of this conversation is now is the time you've made this decision. Don't go get like for like, go find somebody who is a clear upgrade and a dynamic recruiter uh, that recruits a very mercurial position and is also an excellent coach and find, find that guy. James Franklin has found that guy at a lot of positions, you know, Phil Trout one was a great hire. Uh, Anthony Poindexter was in a, was a great hire. Terry Smith has been an excellent hire. So find somebody that uh, is at that level or higher for your receiver position. And I think that's a point that has to be made T Frank is James Franklin has done a pretty good job recently of bringing guys in who were big time hires. Uh, Whatever you think of Mike Yursich, he was the top of the food chain when hiring an offensive coordinator I don't think there's anyone in the world who would question the hiring of Manny Diaz. As you mentioned, Troutwine was a a big-time hire. Poindexter, he's done a good job. I think we have to have confidence in James Franklin's ability to bring someone in, and I just Mm -hmm. get the feeling the hire has essentially already been made. He knew who was coming in before letting uh, Stubblefield go. All right, let's move on then. Uh, to the players, the guys on the field who actually make things happen, T. Frank, and fine. <laughs> yes, it took us a while to get here. It's but... just more, way more comfortable with this part than, than the other stuff, as uh, you may yeah. have guessed. Uh, you, you did a fine job with it. And, and again, just for full disclosure, we even talked about this ahead of time. Any of that crazy conjectures, conspiracy theories, and everything else, it's just that. There, there is nothing there. If, if something comes up, we'll we'll bring it to you, but there is nothing there. So let's go to the players on the field. A week ago, we were talking about Devin Carter coming in, and Devin Carter, we hardly knew ye. Already <laughs> mo- mo- moving on. And now it's Dante Cephas coming in from Kent State. It's a name we've been hearing from a, for a long time. I think as soon as this... Uh, the portal season opened up. This is a name that's been out there. So, T. Frank, what is Penn State getting with Dante Cephas? They're getting, um, I think, a lead receiver. 
you know, and by that I mean a guy that can play the X position, which is kind of uh, it can it can mean a lot of different things, but main, mainly a guy that is going to get a lot of targets. Um, so he does a great job at the line of scrimmage of beating press, which is a really great skill. It's total Homer here. Um, but his route running and his kind of basketball like unpredictability in his routes where he fakes people out, sets things up really well, wins leverage with uh, kind of that jitterbug stutter step reminds me a lot of Stevie Johnson, former Bills wide receiver. Uh, if that doesn't do it for you, Devontae Adams is another guy who does a very good job at the line of scrimmage with press coverage and getting off the line of scrimmage with, uh, you know, that's the highest of the high, like, but in the similar category of Devontae Adams is not a freak athlete. He's a very good athlete, but there are better, there are better receivers in the NFL that have more speed, that have more explosiveness, but very few players have the route running savvy and the ability to set up and then juke out and break ankles at the line of scrimmage. That's kind of the Dante Cephas mold is he is 178 pounds. He's got a good frame, so he looks very lean. I think the problem is he's not going to be a part of Penn State uh, during the winter for the strength and conditioning program. So somehow getting him that information, getting him that download of here's how you lift. Here's how you eat. Here's how you get faster and, and stronger while getting heavier. Um, that's really the thing that he needs to take in because as a route runner, he's a very good route runner. Uh, but deep speed is, you know, a lot of receivers have a lot of ways of getting open against off coverage. He's not running by anybody. But if you're if you're, you know, one on one in his face, then he can get behind uh, defenders and get open that way. So I think he's in short to intermediate receiver with uh, the ability to create separation. And that's a big thing to create separation and create open windows for the for the quarterback. He seems like a very good instinctive, understands zones, where to settle down, mature guy like that knows how to play football in the position. You're not going to be coming in and teaching this guy the, the finer points. What you're trying to do for him is getting bigger, faster and stronger. Give him every tool necessary to take his game from very good or good, I should say to that next level, right? And, and to make him dangerous at every part of the field, uh, how to get open and how to get um, embarrassingly open. Those are the things you're doing with Dante Cephas. Just to explain the some of the timing going on here, though, for whatever reason, he chose to stay at Kent State for the spring semester, whether it's unable to transfer credits, something to that effect. What is he allowed to do now with his commitment to Penn State? Can he get a Penn yeah. State playbook? Uh, can he talk to the coaches all the time? Can he be in the meetings, the wide receiver room meetings via yeah, video? So I don't I don't know specifically, but let's take this. Let's take this like a couple steps at a time. One of the reasons he's going back to Kent State is because he needs to graduate because the, there's, you know, just from what I understand, there's credit transfer issues. So that would be a huge roadblock to him graduating. So that's let's so let's start with that information. Let's work logically backwards. Penn State players from high school that are committed and that are enrolled at the university, but have, you know, they've been accepted, all that stuff, but they, they're not enrolled. The coaches can have contact with them and they can. Um, you know, send them playbooks. They can they can go over stuff. They can do zooms. Um, but because he's committed to Penn, uh, because he's still enrolled at Kent State, I imagine there is a barrier there of how much they can be in contact. 
Now, my question, and this is where where I, I brought it up earlier, is can the strength and conditioning staff be in semi-regular contact with him? And that's, to me, the biggest thing. As far as, like, the coaching staff and being – I don't think any of that's going to be allowed um, because he's not – I don't know the specific enrollment stuff because I don't go that deep into college football. Like, every time you think there's a layer that you've penetrated, you're like, okay, I get it now. There's two or three more when it comes to college football and, and recruiting and, and the process of all this stuff, and I'm not in the bursar's accounts looking at all that stuff. But um, that would be what makes sense to me of – He'll be able to talk to the university during the open window. He'll be able to talk to the coaches, but at a certain point, the contact has to either stop or reduce because he is still enrolled at Kent State. That would be like, if he, if he was allowed to do that, um, then any player on any team could talk to any other coaching staff and then like, ah, I'm transferring now in the spring um, and then have some sort of like backdoor way into recruiting illicitly. So I would imagine that he's not allowed to have a lot of contact. What this does, though, is the transfer portal has opened up a whole new set of questions that I don't think the NCAA envisioned before. So you mentioned, well, he's still part of, you know, the Kent State team. Well, is he? He's a student at Kent State. Right. That doesn't mean he's part of their team, which also leads to the question, is he still on scholarship at Kent State or does he have to pay his own way out there? You know, I would go so far as even to ask the question, if this is his last semester and there's only a few more credits to go, are these classes that he could take remotely? <laughs> could he conceivably be living in state college, yeah, right. taking Kent State courses remotely and, oh, just tossing the ball around with a fellow Penn State student by the name of Drew Auer? It's entirely possible. Like you, you bring up a lot of great points. It's entirely possible. And, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll find out that information, but, uh, it's, it's certainly a weird one. So part of the situation and part of the commitment now is to make an announcement for both sides, right? So that teams aren't coming after him and he's already made his decision. He knows where he wants to go. Um, and Penn state gets to, have some clarity in their, in their receiver room. But this is a pretty, I would say this is a pretty atypical situation. Dante Cephas and, and this particular moment is, is unique. So I don't think we're, I don't think we should be building rules or things around this particular idea. Although I hope it's not used as a loophole later for people to do shady stuff, which it will be if it does happen. Like if there is that in the future, I, I think the NCAA still needs to figure this stuff out. My bet is they haven't thought about all, all of these things. This, these are the unintended consequences. All right. That's it for quarter. Number two, stick around quarter. Number three, we've got your questions and we're going to ask T Frank. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. 
You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante. He's T. Frank Carr. And we call this segment Ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions and if you want to put in a question to T. Frank, all you got to do, make sure you download our app. Just search on Keystone Sports. You'll see the app. Once you download it, there's a button that says, Ask T. Frank. Isn't that a great coincidence, T. Frank? Want to ask you a question? You hit the Ask T. Frank button. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the segment, T. Frank will select the best question. And whoever sent us that question will win the prize. The prize is the 409 tailgateclub.com prize pack which will include those great coffee barbecue rubs t frank are you ready for the questions let's do it all right well hey we've been talking plenty about uh taylor stubblefield why stop now mike in harrisburg says was stubblefield fired due to lack of recruiting success just my first thought what was your initial reaction t frank my initial reaction, like I said at the beginning of the show, was, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Um, and then I thought about it, and then, yeah, I, I think in totality, we're going to go gross generalization. And by gross, I mean large, but also kind of dirty. Like, you know, this is not nuanced. This has no sort of, like, deeper level to it. But, yeah, in the end, I don't. Th- I have been slightly disappointed in the level of talent at receiver over the last couple of years. Um, Harrison Wallace is a incredibly talented football player, but you know, just generally Caden Saunders is, is a, is a talented guy and he's got a lot of abilities, but we're talking about size, speed, athleticism, the total package. They have not recruited one guy that has the total package plus football skills. You know, it's either been super raw and a basketball recruit in, 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 uh, Wallace, or Saunders, who is, while good, a specific player in the offense. It, you know, KJ Hamler-like slot guy. They haven't pushed the upper boundaries of, here's a six-foot-two receiver that can run routes and is explosive and can catch and is like, you know, there's not been a Nick Singleton, there's not been a Abdul Carter, Kalen King, you know, like where the roster is heading with the number of receivers in America and the number of players that want to play receiver they haven't been able to land one of those guys with those wow sort of talents that are apparent. And I think that's, you know, when it comes down to it, just basic, you know, let's sand this down and look at it. Then I, I think, yeah, that's, that's be, they'd be recruiting. Uh, yes. And I, I hadn't thought of it this way T Frank, you expressed it well, though. They're not keeping up with the rest of the positions on the roster where we're yeah. seeing elite players coming in and doing elite things. Anyway, you know what, T. Frank, let's tap into your NFL knowledge a little bit. David from Folsom, California asks, are there any positions in the NFL that don't have 
at least one former Penn State player represented currently? Uh, represented, uh, Trace McSorley is the third-string quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, but I would say quarterback is is the biggest thing. And then I'm trying to think, d- defensive tackle? I guess if you want to go former Nittany Lions, yes. Kevin Givens is a James Franklin player, but a lot of the defensive tackles who are playing and active in the NFL, a lot of them are are pre-Franklin or in that uh Bill O'Brien, Joe Paterno. Uh, safety's pretty good. Corner has some players, uh, but doesn't yet have the starting level caliber of linebacker, defensive end, or receiver. And then offensive line. Uh, I'm just, all of them have somebody, but they don't always have, you know, like if you're if you're making a team of Penn State football players in the NFL, there are some clear holes on the roster. And I think offensive line, defensive tackle, and... Uh, I, at this point, still, I'd say corner are the three outside of quarterback, which is the most obvious. That would be a little a little lean. It's it's an interesting question with the timing. I, I'm not a big NFL guy, but I had on Monday night the Tampa Bay Cowboy game. Yeah. And right off the bat, we heard some obviously Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we heard the name Micah Con Parsons. <laughs> ruining Donovan Smith's day like that's yes yeah that's that's kind of how that's gone the last two times they've played is Penn State on Penn State violence and Micah Parsons um tries very hard at football so and is also incredibly talented uh Donovan Smith is incredibly talented there's incredibly talented and then there's uh Micah Parsons yeah. and the the only I, I do not have much of a rooting interest, except as an Eagle fan, by definition, I have to root against the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. I cannot root against Micah Parsons, though, okay? But the unfortunate thing is, it just makes me shake my head and wonder, boy, would I have loved to have seen Micah Parsons play that extra year at Penn State that he sat out. Would that not have been fun to watch, T. Frank? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I just I have I avoid that topic like the plague because it brings up so much toxic bile from fans. And I just like every time it was brought up, I'm like, yep, moving on. <laughs> well, I get I probably look at it a little different than, than most fans. I'm never going to judge a player for choosing to leave a year early to go to the NFL. And that was yeah. such a crazy season. All, all, all I'm saying, Jim, all I'm saying is like you are looking back at this with like wispy uh, yeah. sort of like, oh, what would have been? And most of the time when I when this topic comes up, it's like, what happened and why did it happen? And this is the most painful <laughs> thing that's ever happened. So then I go, okay, I don't, I don't need any of that juju in my life. So I'm going to back away. Okay. How about this for a glass half full take on it? See, Frank, I think Abdul Carter is Mm -hmm. karma for the Penn state fan. Mm -hmm. For those of us who wistfully, you know, look back and wish we had one more year of Micah Parsons, the gods of football said, you know what guys? We know we shorted you a year back there with uh, Micah Parsons. How about we give you Abdul Carter, though? Three more, then. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> How about looking at it that way? All right. Let's go to uh, David in Lancaster, who says, which players most exceeded your expectation this year? And if you want to hit this one, too, and which ones underperformed your expectations? 
unfortunately, it, it's it's um it's easier to remember the ones that underperform my expectations, <laughs> just because like uh you know um not that it matters you know, because in our job you can say whatever and then people move on and don't remember. But I remember and like I do I don't want to just throw stuff out there. Like I try to give an accurate representation of of reality. So um I think injuries had a part of it, but. Um, Tyler Warren, I thought didn't have the year I was expecting. Uh, he, I, at first he was filling in at the Y and this is what he's done. He's going in between the two positions between Brent strange and, and, uh, Theo Johnson. I don't know that he's naturally a Y he's not a classic tight end. Um, and then he wasn't going to be filling in for strange cause strange that this was his year. Right. So Every single time I saw him in practice, he is mossing dudes, catching the ball one handed. He's setting records in the weight room for, you know, lifting for tight ends. I expected a breakout season for him. Um, and that didn't happen. In fact, he took a huge step backwards in a lot of areas before, you know, working his way back into the rotation and being. But he's clearly not a focal point of the offense where the other two were a focal point of the offense. Um Guys that exceeded my expectations. And then, again, Landon Tangwall injury was a huge part there. I was expecting big things from the left side of the offensive line and didn't quite materialize this year. Exceeding my expectations, Abdul Carter, for sure. Um, I thought he could be a good player. I didn't think he, you know, having spoken to him and seeing how serious and intelligent he was and how focused and, and, and just kind of scary as a person he was, I was expecting him to be a contributor, right? I didn't think he was going to move Curtis Jacobs to the, to the Sam. I didn't think he was going to force his way out of the football field. So he'd be one. And then um, another guy that exceeded my expectations, Olu, Olu Fashanu, I think uh, I, I, Everyone was hopeful, but it just it's one of those situations where you never know. And then he was so good that he became a first round draft picks conversation. I think he was a little bit under that in terms of production. He still needs to get better in the run game. Um, There's still some things he can clean up in the past game. But the natural raw athleticism was was real and his consistency to protect the blind side was real. So. I'd say slightly above expectations, knowing that expectations were pretty high coming in, but he just blew them out of the water. I'll just add T Frank. I think we all expected a lot from Nick Singleton and he still, I believe exceeded that because for a true freshman to come in and have the impact, we also got to really look at the other running back, Katron Allen, you know, they became one in one a at running back. And I'm not sure anyone really expected that. So uh, just another place. Let's go to Stephen in Winston-Salem. Hey, T. Frank, got three things to worry about, and I want to see if I'm overthinking things. First, I think we're missing out on defensive tackles. We don't have pros there on the team. Second, I think we play Abdul Carter too much in coverage. He should be going downhill into the backfield. And third, I'm worried about Drew Allard not being a threat with his feet playing quarterback in college. It's not all about being a pocket passer all the time. Is Steven worried too much on those three issues, T. Frank? Yes, you're overthinking a couple of them. Uh, Defensive tackle, real issue. There's no way around it. That is a position where outside of receiver, this defensive tackle, especially that that one technique, it's just a big body. Like that's, that's a real thing. Abdul Carter in coverage. 
this is the same thing I said about Micah Parsons. Like, great, Micah Parsons was people wanted him going after the passer. The reason he is the freak that he is in the NFL is because he can play any position you want him to play. If you want to drop in coverage, Penn State taught him how to be a linebacker, and then he can be this hybrid freak that does whatever. Although his primary job now is rushing the passer. Carter, I I'm 50-50 on. I don't think he's I don't I there's just a percentage missing between the freaky unreal strength that Micah Parsons had as a freshman and what I saw from Carter. And it's just it's just percentage points of you could not block Micah Parsons at any point in his life. Six years old, he's running through double teams. Uh, at 21, he is running through large humans. Abdul Carter, this is just, uh, he may get there someday, but there's just a core strength, a violence that is is just percentage points less. He's not the same player, but I think that means he is a more complete coverage player. I think he can be a really, really good linebacker that does everything well. So I don't want to take that away from him by just throwing him at the quarterback. And then finally, if Drew Aller is good enough as a passer, who cares about his legs? Like, that's the thing. That's the gold that you're looking for. All right. That's going to have to be it for quarter number three. Stick around quarter number four. T. Frank will name our winner. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank, and it's quarter number four. T. Frank, that means we need your winner from quarter number three. Who do you got? So Steve in Winston-Salem had the, he's going to win today. Um, but I do want to adjudicate this a little bit because he asked, he did, he did the media thing of, Hey, James Franklin, here's three different questions. Cause I only get to ask one. Um, so, so I, 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 the spirit of it, I'm not in love with because he asked three questions, but they were the most engaging ones that I think had the most, meat to them so steve in winston-salem you you also got kind of tagged by the timer because we ran out of time in the last segment but steve you're our winner today well i see i respect steve for sneaking in the three questions i yeah. think it's an admirable trait not something sneaking is admirable respected for <laughs> yeah he's crafty t frank he's crafty okay. Okay. and you did respond to all three questions so it was also effective 
so effective, in fact, that I want to also respond to it. As you said, we the clock ran out. But a couple of things that he mentioned, he talked about Abdul Carter and coverage. And I think the unfortunate thing, just like a defensive back, you get beat once and everyone knows it and remembers it. Yeah. And I think Abdul Carter in coverage, and I'm not even sure if it was his fault, but there were one or two times where he looked like he was the closest guy in a broken he's, coverage. He's busted a lot of coverages this year, and this is what I'm trying to say, is that I don't want to say it's easy to rush the passer, but it's more instinctive. It is. You've got to know a lot about football to be really good in coverage. You've got to have, you got to develop that. And Abdul has the skills, and he has the instincts to be a great coverage player. So develop those. So that he's unpredictable and makes his pass rushing easier because you don't know whether he's coming or whether he's covering. So that's that's what I'm trying to say is like that was the I don't want to say it was the sacrifice because Penn State was still getting a lot out of Micah Parsons, but like that was the plan is make make Micah a great coverage linebacker and then unleash him as this dual threat. And that's what 2020 was supposed to be. With Abdul, you've got to get the basics down. So when he doesn't follow a guy or he doesn't switch in man coverage. Uh, I mean, you saw him running with tight ends and running backs in, in the bowl game and the ball hit him in the back of the head because he's in the pocket of the receiver and it's perfect coverage. Like he can be a tight end eraser and he can be a game wrecker. So if you I feel like it's short sighted to just throw him after the quarterback, develop all of the skills and then he's bulletproof, I guess, is, is kind of the plan. And it's the same plan they had with Parsons. And I think it's the right one for him. That's the other thing is I think it's the right one for him as a football player because at the next level, if he wants to be a linebacker, he has to cover. Like there is no except no exception. You you're not a, a two down go after the quarterback guy. You've got to be able to cover on first, second, and third down. And Stephen from Winston Salem probably needs to get credit as co-host for for this show today <laughs> yeah. because I'm going to give one more note on his question about Drew Aller, and I get it, you know. He's a five-star because of his arm and what he, his arm talent. But I was actually impressed, T. Frank, about his, he was more agile than I thought. I yeah. thought he was able to use his, his legs more than I gave him credit for coming out of high school. I'm not going to say that's going to be the main feature of his quarterbacking tenure, but it was better than I thought. And especially if you compare it to Sean Clifford, who just seemed like in this last year didn't want to run the ball, didn't want to be a threat at all. So yeah. I, I just want to point just, that out also. Yeah. Go ahead. One last one last thing on that as well. You have Trace McSorley and you have Sean Clifford, guys that are uh, you know, can run the football. But then you lament you don't have a guy that's an elite arm talent. Now you have a guy that is an elite arm talent and you lament the fact that he can't be the you know, Josh Allen, like we, we've broken our expectations of realistic quarterback play with what you see in the NFL. Uh, Drew Aller, if he can throw the football, that's that is the prize of attack the field from the pocket to every level to every zone. If he can do that, then it does not matter what he does with his legs, because that is more valuable. That creates more offense. That is more dangerous and harder to stop. He can add if he can scramble and extend the play. That's great. And he's not going to abandon the quarterback run. It's going to be a part of there. He's going to get a couple. It's going to be enough. That's, I guess, the, the difference. And typically, I would say something to the effect of that's why he makes the big money. Instead, I'll just say that's why he's driving a Tesla because of his arm, not his yeah. legs. 
right, T. Frank, let's get back to other personnel on the team, comings and goings, a couple other announcements uh, this week of players. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Devon Townley, one of the rare breed who went into the portal and now he comes back. And yeah. I'm hearing all this talk that he might actually turn into a defensive tackle versus defensive end. What are your thoughts on that? So I always liked Townley. I liked his his frame. I liked his movement skills. But yeah, I mean, there's no room at the end at defensive end, and he doesn't have that high-end explosiveness. There's always that question of how is a guy going to develop when he gets bigger? And some guys maintain the movement and explosiveness, and they get faster and more explosive. He got bigger and re- re- retained some of that fluidity, but you know, didn't get any more explosive or poppy. So moving him inside to a three technique. Yeah. Why not? Let's see what happens. I, I, he's got the, he's got the DNA of a, of a guy that can play and unlocking that is the job of the coaching staff. And if that was the conversation of, Hey, you know, we want you to play three technique and we think there's a role for you in a sub sub package pass rushing situation. I think that's smart, you know, kind of the Amin van over in reverse. So some of these guys, you 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 do you recruit guys that can be one or the other, and genetics take over at a certain point. Uh, Townley going to three technique, I think, is is a is a heady play. There were a couple other players who made announcements in this past week. Again, wanted to get your take on it. One of them is uh, Keaton Ellis will make his return. Yeah, I think that's a good thing for the team. I think he's been an underrated player. It's forgotten. Remember when he came in as a true freshman and got on the field, we were really excited about him. Uh, He's not that, hasn't been that elite, elite player, but he's been pretty solid T Frank, hasn't he? Yes. And that's the question um, I've always had about Keaton. What position is he? Because initially, like there were some, I, I know what I'm about to say is, not a full picture, right? But early on, he showed signs of being a little bit better and flashed a little bit more than Joey Porter Jr. Now, obviously, the talent difference of Joey Porter Jr. and what he brought to the table at the corner position is different, and it took time to mature. Kind of like a, a scrambling running quarterback versus a guy that, you know, wins with his arm. You know, the same conversation you could have about the quarterback Spence that is right now. Early on, Keaton Ellis was a guy that flashed as a really good run defender, and, uh, you know, was was cagey in coverage, made some plays that you didn't expect out of a true freshman. Um, but then he moved to safety and he kind of disappeared because of injuries. And he's I'm just looking at his PFF snaps. He's played a thousand and four years. He, he hasn't really been on the field and been a leader of the team yet. And and there have been multiple positions he's been at from corner to safety to safety, you know, moving around within the safeties. And, you know, I don't know if he's moving over to Tig's position this year, but that's then another move. And is that his final destination? Is that where he belonged the whole time? Is that underneath, you know, uh, boundary safety? There's Tig Brown made plays the year before he moved into the role. Jaquan Brisker made plays before he moved into his, his final starring role. Keaton Ellis has, has just made fewer plays. He's got one PBU in the last two seasons. Um, he's given up no touchdowns since his freshman season. But it's just, can he make plays? Can he be the guy? 
And that's a big question when there's a lot of talent behind him. And that's his job to be the veteran and to prove that, that he can be the guy. I like a lot of what he does. He's still a very good run defender. I think the moving around has kind of struggled for him. Uh, Defending the run from deep has been more of a challenge. And also, when you're primarily in that sort of uh, free safety role, there are less plays to be made. Like, you just have the less opportunity to make plays unless you're catching, you know, overthrows and stuff like that, like Tig Brown did. And, and you know, maybe this move, if he moves over to that box position, is what's going to change everything for him, and, and he'll, he'll be in a better position, in a more natural position. But I just don't know. That's the thing. Is I, I don't know about Keaton. I like him. I think he's a really smart player. We'll have to see what the future holds for him. Uh, especially when the talent around him has been rising and rising and rising uh, through the years. Another player who made his announcement was Marquise Wilson. We first took note that he wasn't on the roster, and then we got the announcement that he was in the transfer portal. Um, With Marquise Wilson, he flashed a bit early in his career. Then we had this situation where he was athletic enough that he could be a wide receiver also, besides being a defensive back. Is this a case where perhaps he was a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, or it distracted him from being a full-time player at one position where he could have excelled? What's the Marquise Wilson legacy at Penn State? Um, We'll always have the Cotton Bowl, I guess. (laughs) Uh, you You look at this year, he had a pass rating of 106. And, you know, anything over anything over 100 is is a problem. Anything in the high 90s is a problem. Um, He's just when they had a glut of talent at that position, you have to make some decisions and certain guys were moved. He was one of the guys that was moved. I mean, that says everything you need to know from what the coaching staff thinks of his talent at corner. Then they needed players at the position. It didn't work out for him elsewhere. So they moved him back to corner. And then he was in the rotation. He played all year, but he was the third, fourth guy. Like he took on a bigger role when Joey Porter Jr. was injured. Um, but early in the season, he was not getting a t- like, you know, there were certain games he was not on the field. So Penn State brings in Storm Duck. And, you know, they probably know Marquise Wilson plans on transferring anyway. But again, it, it goes back to the level of talent and the 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 threshold of acceptable play. And I said in the Rose Bowl, you know, all of Penn State's corners are better than Utah's receivers. Marquise Wilson, to me, is the guy that is on that level where I would be concerned about his play. And these are all descriptive of, you know, Penn State is is upgrading all these positions. The receiver coach is gone because they're not getting what they want out of the talent there. So the, the level of standard and expectation is improving. And if you don't meet that, then here you find a level of play that suits your ability. And for Marquise Wilson, it it might be at a power five school. Just it's not at Penn state. Very good T Frank, but that is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone kickoff show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.